Imagine there was a way that you could improve the health of your skin and hair and your brain all at the same time in one deliciously tasting chocolatey drink. Oh my goodness, I'm so excited. Collagenius has landed in the UK. Why am I so excited by this? Because it contains really concentrated sources of lion's mane, chaga and cordyceps. You probably heard that lion's mane can help with BDNF. BDNF is shown, it's like miracle growth for your brain, brain derived neurotrophic factor, and it's been shown to decline with age. So super important that we look after that if we want to look after our smarts. And in Collagenius, each dose contains two and a half grams, 50 to one of lion's mane. That's equal to 200 grams of ground mushrooms. It's also got the equivalent of 300 grams of ground chaga, which is a natural antioxidant to support your immune system and can also help to lower blood sugar and cholesterol. And cordyceps equal to about 400 grams of ground mushrooms. Uh, Cordyceps is amazing for improving exercise performance. Uh, It has anti-aging qualities, anti-inflammatory and helps to improve heart health. And collagen, which can improve the health of your skin, relieve joint pain promote heart health, boost your muscle mass, strengthen your hair and nails, and also prevent bone loss, all in one super delicious chocolatey flavoured drink. It's my latest mid-morning drink that I'm having, and I'm absolutely loving it. Now, they've got limited stock here in the UK, so if you head over to bioptimizers.uk forward slash Angela and enter code Angela10, you will get 10% 10% off Collagenius. Um, that's Angela, sorry, it's bioptimizers.uk forward slash Angela if you're in the UK. And if you're anywhere else in the world, go to bioptimizers.com forward slash Angela and just enter code Angela10 at checkout. And you too can upgrade your brain and have a silky smooth, lustrous hair and glowing skin all at the same time. One of the things that's really revolutionized my exercise is having a WhatsApp group with my wife and just writing the exact amount of minutes that we exercise for each day and then adding it up at the end of the month. Welcome to the High Performance Health Podcast with your host, Angela Foster, the show where we talk about everything you need to break through limits and achieve a high performance mind, body and lifestyle. Hi friends, I want to welcome to you to a fun episode today. I'm having a little chat with my friend, Tony Wrighton, who is a multiple best-selling author. He's an NLP master. He's also uh, the host of the Zestology podcast, fantastic podcast, by the way, if you haven't listened already. And I met up with him uh, in London at 180 House, Soho House, and we had some lunch together and we had a little bit of a kind of biohacky, I suppose, chat uh, about what we've both been doing, what we're into. Uh, And so you're going to hear that on this week's episode. But one of the things I was chatting about to Tony was uh, how I'd given up alcohol back in June as a bit of an experiment and uh, still alcohol free uh, at the time of this episode in mid-November. And I didn't intend it to be that way. And it's actually really interesting. And we talk a bit about it on this episode, but I wanted to kind of just cover off some of the things that I have discovered on that journey of just breaking a habit of something that I loved. So I, my husband and I have been longtime investors in wine and we've been around, you know, beautiful vineyards in France and California and various places. And we, it's kind of like a, I guess, a romantic love of ours. 
And I wanted to do an experiment with behavior change to figure out how difficult it would be to give out something that I enjoyed, that was social, that I did with my husband, but something I did very moderately. So it was very easy to give up insofar as I wasn't never really a big drinker. Uh, I was just a bit of a fine wine drinker in moderation. And so I wanted to see how long would it take uh, for something I enjoyed. And I, I sort of, when I first approached this, I was thinking, what could I give up that would meaningfully make a dif- difference to me? And it was either wine or dark chocolate. And I decided that the health benefits of dark chocolate were superior to wine and therefore uh, wine was the option. So um, I was sort of experimenting, well, how long would it take for me to stop being prompted by my brain that it was a good idea to have a nice chat with my husband over a glass of wine on a Saturday night, for example. Um, And as I say, I've never really been a big drinker, so it wasn't a kind of a big, big deal as such. It was more that, you know, it was a time for us to sit down, have a chat. And we do that a few times a week. And so how long would it take my brain to stop telling me that. And if we look at the research that's been done on this in terms of creating behavior change, there was um, a study done by Philippa Lally, who's a health psychology researcher at the University College London. And she published a study in the European Journal of Social Psychology. And she was figuring out with her research team how long it would take to form a habit. And in this study, they basically examined the habits of 96 people over a 12-week period. And every person within that group chose a new habit for the 12 weeks. And then they reported back each day on whether they did the behavior and how automatic that behavior was feeling. So it's slightly different to what I was doing because I was removing something as opposed to putting something new in. But I'm going to come on to that uh, in a moment because there is slight nuance there. And what they found was that on average, it takes more than two months before a new behavior becomes automatic. And actually, to be exact, it was 66 days. So if you think we've got new year coming up, it's not that far away now. People often try to adopt new habits with their new resolutions in January. Even if you continue that uh, for the whole of January, it probably isn't going to lead to long-term behavior change. Now, how long it takes, according to this study, can vary widely, but on average, it was around 66 days. But it could take anywhere from 18 days to 254 days for people to form a new habit. And that kind of helps to manage your expectation because what you're really looking at there is anywhere from two to eight months, not the kind of 21 days that gets touted around. So mine was slightly different because obviously I was removing something, um, but I wanted to kind of understand, well, how long would it take for me not to have those prompts? And interestingly, it was around 53 stroke 54 days for me. Uh, So that was quite interesting. But what happened uh, kind of unconsciously was that I, over time, once I'd set an initial target of 90 days, because I thought, well, if the research shows 66 days on average, I want to kind of far exceed that and see what happens. There were a few interesting things. First of all, I have unintentionally developed a habit now of not drinking. Uh, which has been quite interesting. And and as you'll hear on my chat with uh, Tony, it's kind of like, now I've got a streak. Do I break it? Like, I'm really not sure. So I'm kind of thinking, oh, maybe I'll just do this for 12 months uh, and uh, and go through every season and, and see, see what happens. So that's kind of where I'm at with that now. The day that I decided to do it, 
you might just think this is crazy, was on the day of my uh, daughter's school ball that I went to. So a highly social occasion. I'm kind of a bit like that when I decide to do something, I'm just like, yeah, let's do it now. But actually uh, on, a, on, a, on a more serious note, I think if you're going to do hard things, then let's do the hard stuff first, right? So going out on a social evening when everyone else is drinking uh, is probably more of a test for many people than, uh, than other times. So I thought, right, well, I'll pick this night and and go from there. So that was kind of how I started it off. But what was interesting that I wanted to share is when you're removing something, you do need to replace it with something positive. And the science also shows that. That wasn't something that I'd really thought through. Uh, sorry, my mic was a little crackly there. Um, that wasn't something that I had really thought through at the time. I, I was aware actually that you should you know, replace it with a good habit. Um, but I hadn't really thought it through and determined what I was going to do instead. And what was really interesting was that initially I started to replace it with work. It's very easy, isn't it? Especially if you work from home to kind of just, because I think the thing is, if you if you stop a couple of times a week and you kind of have a nice chat with your partner or your friend or something, and you pour a glass of wine, it kind of like just that small amount of wine helps you kind of just wind down and it sort of creates a transition, if you like, into the evening and um, stopping working to a degree because you're unlikely to go back. I mean, some people do, I guess, but um, you're unlikely really to work again after that. So what happened with me was I actually kind of just started working quite a lot more. And that isn't the best really thing for your relationship with your partner or your family. So uh, I became aware of that within a few weeks. And actually, we then replaced uh, doing that with a few times a week. We would go out uh, for a walk together uh, at sunset, which was really nice. Can't do that anymore in the midst of November because uh, it's pitch black. But it was really, really beautiful thing to do. So many sunsets. And so that's quite an interesting thing. What I would say is if you're going to take something away and maybe looking ahead to next year and thinking, what can I change? What new habits can I introduce? What can I remove? Uh, then replace it with something positive. Because the thing is, if you create this vacuum, it's going to be replaced with something. That's just the way life works. So find something positive to put in its place. And for me, that has been initially uh, sunset walks. Uh, it more recently moved into reading and chamomile tea. <laughs> Sounds like I'm just curled up with my slippers on, doesn't it? Or actually, uh, you know, spending time with my kids and doing something. But anyway, you'll hear all about this. I need to stop waffling on here. So you'll hear all about this on my chat with Tony. You're also going to hear all about histamine intolerance because Tony is an expert I like to think in histamine intolerance he has really dived into the science of this over the last few years he has a fantastic website and blog all about histamine intolerance so if you're someone that's suffering with that and it is a trigger point for many women around perimenopause then definitely go and check that out and um, yeah without further delay let me introduce you now to Tony Wrighton Angela, we're recording. Cool. How are you? I'm really well. It's nice to be here. It's nice to do it in person, isn't it? It is really nice, yeah. And you were just telling me before we started recording, you haven't drunk out because I was telling you I had three cocktails here yeah. on Wednesday three night. three tequilas. Yeah, three tequilas. And I feel great today, so that's good. Um, what? Why haven't you drunk for ages? Yeah, so I was saying that it was a bit of an experiment. I was looking at what can I give up that I'm attached to insofar as it held more of an experience, right? So Nat, my husband and I have always kind of laid down wine, invested in it, visited vineyards. So there's a whole kind of romantic thing around it. I don't really drink anything other than wine. 
And uh, so as an experiment to see whether this whole kind of 66-day rule around habit formation, I thought, I wonder how long it would take until at a weekend I wouldn't think it would be nice to relax together, have a chat, have a glass of wine. And um, so I was experimenting with that. And it's been quite interesting what's happened because um, I'd say that it was around 50 days. So I think when people look at, and you'll know more about this from your NLP work, right? But when you look at giving something up, yeah. In the beginning, that reticular activation system right at the back of the brain just keeps reminding you, doesn't mm. it, of something you used to do. Um, so you've got to kind of like um, put in effort effectively to overcome that. And then after I'd say around 50 days, so maybe a month and a half yeah. or so, uh, those reminders just stopped even at weekend. It just kind of fell away. So then it was like, okay, this is weird now. It's not quite taken... 66 days mm. I wonder what I'll do for here and I set an initial goal of 90 days just to go well beyond the 66 thinking it might take longer in some people etc and uh, so then it just got like easier and easier and then I got um, I just got really even more into exercise and mm. like the fresh feeling of like weekends waking up really early at weekends being really consistent with my sleep schedule which if you have a few drinks it's much harder to oh, be consistent definitely. with yeah because all your willpower goes out the window exactly you're like you so I'm going to stay up until one o'clock in the morning yeah. tonight because I can <laughs> exactly and then I'm going to sleep in a little bit or you feel dreadful if you get up at your usual time yeah so um, that got really like positively addicted there were a few things along the way that we can talk about that had to change because uh, I did develop some bad habits. Um, and then basically now, I don't know what to do because I've kind of gone, I don't know, 120 days or so. Yeah. And I've sort of developed this um, streak, which is a bit, a bit weird, of not drinking. But I don't want to, um, I don't necessarily see myself as a non-drinker, mm. but I'm not sure I want to break the streak if you see what I mean so it's become a bit weird I'm really pleased you mentioned that because I'm you know I told you I'm writing this, these books at the moment yeah. and they're all based around NLP principles but also habit forming and persuasion principles because ultimately the, the goal is that people read these books and they actually end up you know changing stuff and one of the days that I've written is all about streaks because people place massive importance on streaks. I don't know if you've heard of the um, 75 hard challenge. Have you heard of that one? Yes. It might be based on the similar sort of thing as what you've been doing with the 66 days. 75 hard is um, you've got to do all these sort of different things. It's not based in science at all. You've got to do all these different things at once. And if you mess up a day, you've got to start from day one again. Right. And actually the habit forming science would suggest that's not a very good way to do a challenge because... What's more important is resilience. And you and I have been having a little chat about addiction just before we started. And it's especially important in addiction because the recovery from addiction or any sort of habit forming is, is never really that linear. Mm. You know, you're going to have a day where you, um, I don't know, you, you're up at three o'clock in the morning because you've got to drop your son at Heathrow and you're knackered and you have a glass of wine and it just happens sometimes. Mm. And what's more important is that the next day you wake up and you don't say, Oh, I've messed it up now. I've got oh, like 10 drinks every day. Yeah. yeah. So res- I think resilience yeah, is a lot true. more. And of course, what most people do with the 75 hard challenges, they either, some of them who've got the willpower, like you, finish it, but a lot of others lapse on day 14 because life has got in the way and they haven't had the time to do it and they don't bother starting again. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, being kind to yourself and being resilient and remembering that it's not, you know, habit forming isn't linear is more important. 
Yeah, I agree with that. Mm. It's interesting you say that because I think you see that a lot when we look at alcohol with dry January mm. and people just white knuckle it for 30 days, but yeah. it's never changed behavior. Yeah. So, yeah, so it did change behavior, but inadvertently because I was like, well, my plan wasn't to become a non-drinker. Mm. Uh, and uh, we were talking about books, weren't we? So I also, like I've been reading... Uh, oh, you put the book in at the start rather than at the end. Well, Why we not? might come back, can Why we? Not? Yeah, can I put now. the book in yeah. at the beginning because so it's irrelevant? I, yeah, normally I ask, what is one book that you would recommend? But do it now. <laughs> Let's do it now. Yeah. Um, so Ryan Holiday's latest book, Discipline yes. is Destiny. Okay. That was really interesting for me because in there he talks about abstinence. Actually, yeah. it's not like addiction, but it's almost kind of down the same thing, right? Mm. Because it is easier. 100% is easier than 90%. Yeah. Uh, which in many respects can be a good thing. But he talks about this concept, this stoic concept of temperance. And I actually think that's more valuable mm. in life. So in reality, I mean, let's say I, I never gave up alcohol because I had a problem with alcohol. So maybe that is slightly different. Do you know what I mean? Because how could you uh, practice temperance if you did? That might be a bit harder. Yeah. I'm not sure. Um, whereas for me, it was just this experiment. What would mm. happen like for how long would my brain take before it stopped reminding me? And it yeah. just became a natural new behavior. But now it has become a natural new behavior. I'm thinking, yeah, where do I and how do I give up that streak? Because as you say, that feels like... I'm not sure I want to. It's my birthday coming up. And yeah. that would be a time when usually I would have a glass or something to celebrate. And I'm thinking, I don't know if I want to break my streak. So mm. it's all a bit weird. It's all a bit up it'll there. Be, it'll be interesting because you could break it very mindfully and just mm. have a lovely glass of expensive wine. Yeah. And just see how you feel. I could. <laughs> and actually that would yeah. be like a very nice way yeah. to do it. Yeah. I'm really indulge with something very enjoyable. So... Um, and I think the temperance thing you talk about is very interesting because I see quite a few similarities between you and I in terms of, I think you're quite type A personality, mm. you're quite driven, you know, you're obviously building this incredible business and doing so well. And I'm the same. And actually, you know, for me, biohacking is often based around doing less, switching off a bit, relaxing, because that is probably the most important thing <laughs> for my health, I think. Yeah, and probably mean, for me as yeah. well, and the bit that I find the hardest. So it's actually I'm good really at discipline. difficult. I'm not good at just sort of saying, oh, yeah, all right, I'll have a glass of wine tonight. Yeah. Are you good at disciplining yourself to recover? Because, like, for example, if you gave me the choice to do a workout or yoga, I'm going to pick the workout every single time. Really? I would actually have to discipline myself right. to do something easier. Mm. So I'm, I'm kind of struggling with that now. So then I've been doing a lot of research recently into sort of flow states and creativity and right. this concept of having the struggle um, and then the sort of um, allowance, if you like, before you enter flow and then the recovery cycle that comes after it. Uh, and it's definitely for me, I would say, in terms of biohacking, it's the recovery that I'm really trying to prioritise now because I have to, I think, I think part of it is having three kids, two dogs, a business, you know, it kind of is all go, go, go all the time. Yeah. But I need to work that in. So with the flow states, are you using them with your, you did the research, does that go into what you do with your clients and your group as well? Yeah, yeah. exactly. So it's kind of a core concept when I talk about this concept of biosyncing is to be able to sync with your goals. But also when we look at rhythms, obviously we look at the female menstrual cycle, but then what about also ultradian rhythms? So we know like what happens in sleep 
is kind of mirrored by the brain during the day. Mm. So there's these 90 to 110 minute approximate cycles. Oh, yeah. How can we optimize them in the day? And what's interesting is if you're not getting enough deep sleep, actually it becomes much harder to get into flow and optimize those rhythms in the day. So the two have a knock-on effect. Right, yeah. Mm. The ultradian rhythms, I've got very into listening to Andrew Huberman's oh, yeah, me work. Too. He's great, isn't he? He is. He and is. I've, I've been listening to his one on focus. And I thought it was really interesting because I was telling you before, I'm writing these books at the moment and it's, I find my limit for work is two hours a day of really deep work. Focus. Lots yeah. of work through the day, but the real deep work. And it's incredible how much I get done in those two hours. But that might sound like such a small amount of time to most people. You know, what, you're writing a book, you're only doing two hours a day. Yeah, and I get a lot done in those two hours, but my brain can't handle any more. Yeah. And actually, he talks about that as well with these old tradian rhythms. Mm. So what are they exactly? These are just um, rhythms that happen during the day that are around approximate 90-minute cycles. Mm. And so if you time them, because that's what I was going to ask you, if you're looking at two hours, do you break that up or can you go straight for two hours? I break it up. You do? Even two hours on its own is okay. too long. I was going to say, it, yeah. it seems too long. Yeah. How would you break that up then? So what I do is I'm... And I've developed quite a nice system for it. I, I've, I've looked into all the apps. There's some great apps like Screen Zen and Forest. Have you heard of Forest? No. This is what all the kids are using. Your kids okay. will probably be doing it in a couple of years when they're sort of doing GCSEs and A-levels. You click a button and it grows a tree on an app on your phone. And if okay. you leave the app to go and do anything else for the next hour, the tree withers and dies. Oh, that's very cool. <laughs> yeah, I like cool, that. So oh, good. wow, that would keep me going, yeah. Yeah, so the kids love that. Um, but what I found works well is starting a timer. I use Trello for all my sort of to-do lists and organising. Starting a timer on there when I'm doing deep work and then stopping it the moment I come out of deep work and then just making myself start. And then over the course of the day, as long as that deep work counter has gone over two hours, that's good. Okay, so then you'll take a small break and come back to it. It just depends. I mean, look, you know, came to meet you here at 12 today and um, some unexpected childcare this morning. So did half an hour's writing on the tube. Okay. And really deep work really deep as work. well. Yeah, you can do it anywhere when you can get in the zone. I love That's it. the thing. Yeah. And then click the timer off when you arrived and then I'll click it on again later on. Yeah. So, yeah, wherever and whenever really. I mean, you, you have to be a bit flexible when you've got lots of things going on in you your do. day. But I'm just so fascinated by this whole trading cycles thing. It's just not possible to do that level, that quality of work when you go so deeply. But what I wanted to ask you about is, you said before we started that we might get a chance to chat about histamine and histamine intolerance. And obviously this is my side project. People have listened to this podcast and my podcast and known that, you know, I sort of bang on about histamine all the time. And I've been looking recently into supplementary ways to just reduce that real type A sort of stimulated energy based on genes. And it's all quite complicated and it's way above my pay grade. But this is interesting. Yeah, I mean to it's what, kind of to, well, to reduce type A energy. Um to reduce type A energy, yeah, okay. exactly. Because you know a lot of people with histamine intolerance do have very type A personalities for various reasons. They, their whole sort of stimulatory their whole nervous system is set on high all the time and what they need to do is sort of calm it down mm. and when you have a look at the genes there's one gene called dao or dao which yeah. is particularly important with histamine there's another one called mao mao there's mao a and mao b known as the warrior gene as in fighter 
but also anxious. <laughs> that would describe me for both. I mean, not, not a fighter, but just, you know, sort of type A personality. Yeah. And that is something that's really important in the histamine and histidine pathway. And my mal genes don't work very well. So I've been looking at taking a lot of riboflavin over the last few days, vitamin B2. Okay. Um, this is something new, so like, and this is not medical advice, let's put it that way. I mean, I'm feeling great, you know, because the, the whole idea is that it, it um, if you don't have enough mal uh, gene energy, you're not uh, processing dopamine and other amines in the body, serotonin in the stomach, and therefore your hormones are just wildly out of control and you, you just over-dopamined all the time. So by having enough riboflavin, you can reduce some of that energy and you get the histamine pathways working right. That's what I'm working on. That's very interesting. Yeah. And so you're with this, you're prone more to anxiety, are you? Oh, I mean, or, yeah. 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 Okay. I, so, but, but also just prone to being a real high achiever. Right. So a lot of people, a lot of people who have a compromised male A or male B pathway tend to be high achievers because they're, they're their dopamine, their serotonin is just going to absolute overdrive and their amines in the gut aren't being processed sufficiently. So one, so I'll, do you know what? Next time you see me, I'll probably be living on a beach and I won't be writing any more books and I won't be recording podcasts because all that dopamine would have been soaked up and I'll have a nice, healthy balance. <laughs> You'd just be chilling out. Yeah. And with you, I'm curious, like, because um, my listeners would be very interested in this, what are the symptoms that you had mm that led you to understand you had histamine intolerance? Oh, I mean, it was like a sort of lifelong journey, really. That's why I do this podcast. You know, I was ill for so long and didn't really know. Had a big crash like you as well, but mainly just unexplained gut symptoms. And the whole thing about histamine intolerance is it's so random. Mm. You know, avocados are bad, but celery is good. Try explaining that, you know what I mean? It's just, mm. it's just so hard. Um, and um, I just found that, like, one day I'd be absolutely fine, the next day I wasn't, and there was no rhyme or reason to it. And histamine intolerance was the bottom last thing on the list. After trying everything? Yeah, because it was so confusing, I couldn't work it out. Mm. Um, eventually tried that and started to feel better within about three hours <laughs> of a low that histamine quickly. diet. Oh my God, yeah, like, so quick. Wow. Yeah. And did it affect cognition quite significantly? Absolutely, and it still does. I mean, it, again, yeah, we talk about linear recoveries. I still get crashes. The day before, the day we went to Glastonbury this summer actually, um, I had a real flare up and I just couldn't think straight, couldn't drive. Faith had to drive us down to Glastonbury, <laughs> just lay in the back wow. of the car. Managed to get over it with a load of charcoal tablets and you know, some good company for a few days. But um, it really does affect cognition, yeah. Do you get like really bad brain fog? Mm. It's, it's more than that, it's like, talk about the, the um, the gut-brain connection is a real depression, actually. Is it? Really depressed. Oh, that's hard. Yeah. yeah. As someone who but, struggled with it, that is really tough. Yeah, have you? Yeah. Mm. Depression's a bit strong, actually. Just feeling really low. Not depression, just very low. I mean, gutted that I've been trying to figure this out for so long and I've had a lapse. Yeah, you know? that's hard. Yeah, no, depression, so, I think. Really and, and, and working with good practitioners who understand this stuff is so important. And histamine intolerance practitioners are few and far between. Very few of them. Mm. It's such a specialist area. That's the thing. Yeah. Um, there's probably lots of people that have it right that don't really realise. Yeah. Uh, in all honesty. And uh, my practitioner, you know, she's one of the best, Caroline Sherlock. She's called. And um, he, I mean, still, it's taken us quite a long time to unravel it all and figure it all out. You know, 
So now, if you get an attack like that and it comes on, yeah. do you know what triggered it? Because you're so good, aren't you, with your No, nutrition. I mean, this week I had, this Monday, when is it, Monday I felt a bit dodgy and I wasn't quite sure why and Faith was like, yeah, but you did go out at the weekend and you, oh, that's right, I was in Valencia last week and my friend has a mouldy flat. Oh. <laughs> I could smell oh, it. No. You so could one, smell one of the it. things yeah, about yeah, history and is your, your, your sense of smell is just massively switched on. I've got a really acute sense of smell, yeah. Like, annoyingly so. Mm. I can smell gas, or I can smell mould, and other people won't even notice it. And I could smell the moment I walked in this flat, I was like, it smells as damp in here, mate. He was like, does it? <laughs> so I slept with all the windows and the doors open, but, you know, I felt really groggy after day three. Yeah, yeah. I can imagine that would do. Well, I, we had an interesting experience with mould, what we think is mould, in our oh, yeah. old house. Mm. Um, basically, my son, so he was, my middle one was born on, like, the 98th percentile, so he was destined to be pretty tall and then when he by the time he was three he'd had so many infections they removed his tonsils then they were looking at his adenoids mm. they said they're small he couldn't breathe through his nose mm. and there was a pipe outside we couldn't see anything on the inside of the house but it was a house on clay at the bottom of um, on the back of a golf course came down the hill and there was a very elderly couple next door who had a well had a well and they were not taking care of it and it kept overflowing and then flooding into the garden which right. was making our house yeah. wetter and wetter right and just at the time, after it was actually after we'd agreed all the sale, I remember seeing a small amount of mould. And I was like, that's weird. We've never had mould in this property before. Anyway, we moved and um, and basically we got into a new house. And within three to four weeks, he literally just slept and slept and slept, completely could breathe through his nose, no problems at all. Because they talked about doing surgery to open up his airways. And I was like, no, no more surgery. Way. Surely this will correct the growth. Because they said his adenoids are fine, but actually his tubes are really small. Mm. He wasn't, he'd been like moved down from the A team to the B team because he wasn't big enough, like when he was playing in rugby and things. Anyway. Within about, he will kill me if he hears me talking about me. Yeah. Within about three or four weeks, he's suddenly breathing through his nose. Uh, completely fine, sleeping and sleeping and sleeping. Oh my God, did he grow. Really? He went from, he dropped to like the 75th centile. He's now back up at the 98th. Super tall. It was it, nothing short of extraordinary. Um, wow. And I think that's where in that house, you know, I had bronchitis, pneumonia, I was hospitalised with pneumonia. And that we, must have, yeah, and we just didn't know at the time. Shocking, isn't it? The impact it has. Mm, for some people. I mean, um, Beth O'Hara is a, a brilliant histamine expert and uh, master cell in histamine. She's very strong on and I've, I've interviewed her a couple of times on this podcast. And she says that um, her husband goes mad because when they go to hotel rooms, she can instantly walk in and she's so finely tuned to it. I mean, her, she's had real issues with histamine in the past and still does. But she can tell instantly if it's somewhere she's going to be able to stay in or not. And if not, she'll just walk straight out. It's not just mould, it's uh, perfumed, like detergents, floor cleaners. Um, and I feel the same as well if I'm standing behind someone who's got really strong perfume now. Oh, I don't really like it, you know, or like um, strong floor cleaner or like uh, Dettol or something like that. <laughs> I really don't like yeah. it. You can sense Dettol. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I mean, obviously everyone can smell Dettol, but, but, I, but I just mm. don't like But the mould, that is fascinating. Yeah, it's really interesting what happened there. Yeah. Just to see the difference and how much like the classic medical professionals were looking at, mm -hmm. you know, it must be this, it must be this. Yeah. Um, but we didn't have any idea. It didn't, as I say, it wasn't showing any signs you couldn't smell it. It's not like there was mould in the bathrooms or anything. Yeah. But we could see that over time, 
there was a degree of flooding in the garden. I think where the house, the property wasn't was on clay. Mm. It just wasn't draining. And this had affected him and and me. But not everyone's affected, right? No, so the not. rest of the family are okay. Yeah. So that's what makes it so weird. And I think that's what often makes these things really hard to diagnose as well. Well, yeah. And, you know, I've spoken before. We've got a lovely shed at the end of our garden, which has been converted into a home office. And every time I sit in there, I feel ill. Literally every time. And it doesn't happen instantly. It happens the next day. And so it took me a while to work out. My wife... She's in there right now working. She's fine. <laughs> so, yeah. And there's not there's not mould in there? Oh, I think there is. Oh, you think there is? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was built before we moved in. Oh, and okay. And I know it's hollow underneath because there used to be foxes in there until we managed to get them out and block it up. Um, so it's hollow underneath. I think it gets damp in winter and there's just a load of standing water in there. And then you put the heater on, it just heats up all this sort of mouldy, dank sort oh. of air. And it's not very and nice. And then you feel ill after. Have you tried um, Altos? Have you used Altos? No. This is a gadget that you're a bit of tech that you can get out and it measures air quality. Oh no, I have. In fact, I was sent one. Yeah. And I did it in the. I did it in fact in a tube here in London. I was right. sent this a few years ago. Yeah. And it literally went on red alert. Did it? Yeah. Well, as a, it was um, on the central line. The other lines were actually cleaner because I was surprised initially yeah. at how clean the air seemed to be on the tube in London mm. until I was on the central line. And then it just, this thing, and everyone was like looking, it was like going off, sounding an alarm. Right, yeah. No, just that's, uh, yeah, and it doesn't measure mould because obviously we've been talking about mould, but it measures CO2 quality, also measures temperature, sound, decibels, and something else. Um, but what I think is really interesting about the, the air quality is, you know, CO2 is sort of, it's proven that if your CO2 levels get really low, which is obviously what you found in the central line, then your cognition isn't as good, your brain doesn't work as well, you've got to start to get really sleepy. And I too have measured it all over the place and on the tube and I've sort of found middling results. The worst place I've ever found using it by a long way is this office. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. where are we are now? Yeah. Wow. It's because it's all because it's aircon, right? It's not. It's the an old. Not it's interesting because it's an old seventies building that's been refurbished. I wonder if that's got something to do with it. It's quite old. It's aircon. The windows don't actually open. And I mean, I feel great here. I never felt. I never feel tired. I work really well here. Mm. But it's always on about two out of ten. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. I am. I must say, I'm a big proponent of like open windows all the Are time you? at home. Are you always really? on open windows. Yeah. Mm. I just love like cool air yeah. coming through. As much as I can. Do you do that at night as well? Quite often. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, what are the sort of, obviously, so you work one-on-one with clients. And if, if, are we releasing you. this podcast together, by the way? We because can I, because I've sort of interviewed you. You've kind of interviewed me. I need to interview you. So I was, thinking, yeah. I was trying oh, to yeah. ask you some questions. On, yeah, 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 keep yeah. asking me. Yeah. Sorry, that's the, I sort of forgot that you were interviewing me as well. Come on, ask me some questions. I want to ask you some questions. Yeah. So uh, I want to come to the books, but I guess I always like asking you what fun new kind of biohacking, either technology yeah. or supplements you're playing with. Because every time I speak to you, you're doing something new. And I was curious. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, it's funny, obviously, the B2. The riboflavin yeah. is the one that I've been playing with in the last couple of weeks and I'm really excited by. Um, but then it's interesting that you mentioned that since I got the Altos and I started thinking a bit more about air quality, I have been sleeping with a window open at night. Free biohack. It's hardly groundbreaking, is it? But mm. I just sleep so much better. Um, and then in the terms of the habit forming, you know, in terms of starting new habits that stick, I've thought about that so much. And James Clear's book is a great one to read. It's, on really good it's book. very good, yeah. And then 
Um, another person who's brilliant is Robert Cialdini, who, who's um, written these books around persuasion, and he's got six laws of persuasion, and one of them is just commitment. The more that you've got a public commitment to doing something, the more likely you are to do it. And I know I feel better when I exercise a lot. You mentioned that earlier, and I always do. So one of the things that's really revolutionised my exercise is having a WhatsApp group with my wife and just writing the exact amount of minutes that we exercise for each day in it. And then adding it up at the end of the month. Oh, so does, almost she's your accountability partner that you did She's my exercise. accountability buddy, but it does two things. Firstly, it keeps me accountable. Secondly, I'm very competitive. We've already spoken about the type A. Mm. I want to beat last month. So oh, I thought I you were going to say I want to beat my wife. Yeah, I want to beat my wife do. as well. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. yeah. Nat and yeah. I are very competitive. It's quite funny. Yeah, so we have one for meditation and we have one for exercise. And it just genuinely keeps me so accountable. It's like a separate WhatsApp group. And we just write in our minutes there each day. And, and it's the number of minutes as opposed to the frequency. So you could do a really long workout and make up some extra minutes or does frequency apply when you're measuring this as well? No, um, she measures frequency as well. So she, no. but I don't. <laughs> so she'll be like, oh, 29 days out of you're 30. Like, yeah, I just did a yeah. six hour hike and... Uh, Oh yeah, because I did, <laughs> I did the... Um, load of minutes. I did the Three Peaks Yorkshire Challenge in, in May which was, right. by the way, like the best week amazing? Of the year. It was so good. And I said to Faith afterwards, I was like, am I allowed to put in 10 hours here? And she was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> so my scores were seriously high in May. Yeah. yeah. So I, I really like that. And I've you know, put so much time into thinking around behavioral science. Um, because all of this stuff is sort of, there's all sorts of scientific studies that prove that this stuff works. Commitment, accountability, um, and... You know, James, what I like about James Clear is that he references a lot of science in his books as well. Mm. And I think that's definitely the way to go. You know, I mean, one of the things about NLP is it's brilliant to be able to use NLP in conjunction with studies to show that it works. Yeah, yeah, mm. when you've got the science to back it up. Yeah. How would you, when you're looking at NLP, neuro linguistic programming, because it yeah. really helps to change your beliefs, right, and your view of the world. Mm. How would you say it differs from something like CBT? I remember doing a lot of CBT when I was struggling with depression. Yeah. And trying to change my thought patterns and analyse, like, were they really true? What could the alternative be? What would you say is, like, the critical difference? Um, firstly, I don't really know that much about CBT, so it's quite difficult to answer question. that question. Mm. But one of the interesting things around CBT is that it is mainly a therapy Whereas NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, is used in all sorts of areas. It's used in communication, sales, um, sports psychology, therapy as it's well. used a lot in sales, actually. used a lot in sales. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, lingu the linguistics part of it is fantastic. I absolutely love it. Mm. And uh, did, you, did I ever tell you about when I first started learning NLP? No. And I was a radio so. presenter? And I knew very little about the techniques, but the person who was teaching me said, look, the really important thing is to practice these techniques as much as possible. Practice, practice, practice. So I, um, I thought, well, I've got the perfect place to try it. I'll try it on my radio show. And I just used all these techniques as much as possible. I was going, I was about a five month course and I was learning all these techniques and I was going to my radio show the next day and just layering it all on and not doing a very good job. Then the boss called me into his office one day and I thought he'd rumbled me. I thought he'd sort of noticed that I'd used some sort of complex equivalence on my show. And he said, Tony, I don't know what you've done, 
but your listening figures have gone through the roof. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was incredible. And, you know, I, I, I wasn't an athlete. What were you doing? What was different? Were you teaching it or what was different? I was using techniques to make people feel better about listening, um, to uh, listen for longer and to, to attract new listeners to the podcast as well. So I was using all sorts of sensory language techniques and presuppositions and um, the, all the various persuasive techniques that you can use in terms of um, the, uh, NLP. And I was trying everything, really. But even just the sensory language stuff is, is just so mm. effective. And I ended up having more listeners than the breakfast show. I was on the drive time show. <laughs> Seriously? Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So... I can't remember the original question. Well, I was just looking at, yeah, like things like the difference between NLP, but you're right, it goes a lot. I mean, you're the expert in it, but it goes a lot, lot broader. It's definitely something I want to kind of look into more. Yeah, I think yeah. so. I think so, because I think when you start to like realise how much you can, to be able to influence other people, right, you need to be able to influence yourself mm. first, I think. Yeah. And uh, that was um, something that I sort of really focused on to influence my own thoughts initially yeah. I just found it fascinating looking at all like Tony mm. Robbins work as well um, so really Tony Robbins is like it's very NLP based mm. and in fact he learned NLP from yeah. the guy who invented it as did I um, but the one thing I mean I don't want to put you off learning NLP because I think you should but I sort of feel like it's a, it's, it's a great it's not the only thing you want to do with people and therefore it would be a nice compliment to everything else you do mm. but it doesn't have to be the only thing and for anyone I would say like you know I sort of have trained to the highest level in NLP, but it's not the only thing I use. I've trained in uh, EFT as well and mind factor coaching, but also just the biohacking stuff. It all works really nicely together mm, rather exactly. than just focusing on NLP. Yeah, because it's kind of mind, body, spirit optimization, isn't it? Yeah. That's yeah. the thing. So something I'm about to try, should I tell you? Yeah. Have you tried C60? I'm trying the ESS60. Oh my goodness, just I have no idea no. what that is. No, so here we go. So this C60, uh, has had studies where it's improved life expectancy in rats by 90%. It's what? quite scary if it does oh it in humans, God. isn't it? You're going to be, list- you're and, gonna be uh, living to, <laughs> let's say, like 160, 150, 160. Perfect. Yeah, well, I've just done a podcast, actually. It's not not out yet, all about this. Uh, and my first question was, how can you persuade me that actually I would want to live that long? Because at the yeah. moment, none of it looks very attractive. Do you know mm. what I mean? If you look at... Ultimately, I think no matter how long you live, there seems to be a very small section of the population who literally live super well into old age, go mm. to sleep one night and don't wake up. Yeah. Like, that would be amazing. Yeah. Usually, however long, really, we, I feel like we're postponing disease, but ultimately it comes at some point. It does. And I'm not sure I want to be super old. So that's never really been a thing for me. So mm. I, when, I, when I was talking to him about it, it was like, how can you persuade me, uh, you know, that? this would be necessarily a really good thing. But apparently there are also lots of benefits with it. I'm just about to start the experiments. We'll have to do a part two yeah. maybe. Uh, around sleep as well. The only thing you can take in the morning that will actually then improve your sleep substantially at night. Uh, so it's quite interesting. And ESS60 is the form that is suitable for human so consumption. So what is it? So it's a fullery. Like this is going to go with chemistry that I don't know about. It's in olive oil, yeah, so I don't know the technicalities. Okay. Yeah. It's, a, it's like known that. as a yeah. fullerene, and I think has to do with carbon. Yeah. But it's just been. Um, I think a lot of people were taking it when they shouldn't have been initially, uh, because mm. it wasn't in a human consumption form, and the ESS60 is. 
So this has just arrived for me now, for me to experiment with. I mean, it sounds quite sort of, my natural disposition is, I'm going to be sceptical until I've, and it sounds quite salesy, hey, it's going to, you know, but exactly. but if it, if actual studies show that it's increased life expectancy in rats by 90%, that's worth further investigation. Worth further investigation. So it's not going to kill you in the process no. and shorten your life expectancy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, it's a bit like looking at spermidine, right? I haven't really oh, yeah. gone down that yeah. road yet, but then I was, when I was that's researching well it recently, it. The, yeah. the whole hair thing was appealing to me as yeah. well and skin and all those benefits in addition to longevity you've yeah. tried it i think yeah and they're one of my partners at the moment on the podcast i mean it's really good spermidinelife.us um use the code tony20 to get 20 percent off um it's really really good for longevity as the science shows but the immediate sort of life-giving effect of better skin health and nails as well is mm. significant. Is that what you so what did you notice when you started? Um, I listen, I've had sort of I don't pay quite as much attention to the quality of my skin as my wife does. <laughs> so she really <laughs> And is loves she it. taking yeah, it as she well? Is. Okay. Yeah, yeah, she thinks it's great. Yeah. And and I do as well, but um she's as big, if not a bigger fan than me. I really like it for sleep, definitely noticed a difference in my sleep. Um, and that's one of the really interesting things that I've spoken about in this podcast. The science around sleep and spermidine is way more limited, but it's because it's so emerging. There's, you know, I mean, there's loads of science around spermidine, but the science around sleep and spermidine, there's not that much. There's a study on flies and a study on a couple of animal studies, but anecdotally, everyone's saying, I have this spermidine and then I sleep really well. So it's one of those ones where you say, oh, well, actually, there isn't a science on that one, but people sleep better. So, and I'm still doing my research on it as well. I mean, it's like I, I just spoke to one of the guys from Spermidine Life a couple of weeks ago, and it's such an emerging area. Mm. Um, but still with enough science, I think, to make it worthwhile giving a go to. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's one of um, the things I think Sandra Kaufman was mentioning in her Kaufman Protocols. Oh, yeah. For longevity as well have and, you uh, interviewed her i was looking no but that's someone someone i do have you that's someone have, i'm looking yeah. at the moment oh, well interesting. I'll, I'll introduce you oh that would yeah. be amazing yeah um should we wrap this up and go and get a bit of lunch let's go and get a I'm, lunch. I'm sorry that i basically interviewed you more than you interviewed that's me all right we can do another one on zoom and i can interview well you. no what we'll do is um oh yeah we could do that as well or we could do it here but um well, actually, or we'll meet here again and then we'll go and have a cocktail afterwards and you can have your first drink in 120 <laughs> days. You can break it. Um, I've got a question that I always ask you, always ask people, but if you want to make it a joint podcast, you can ask me the same question afterwards. Okay. So the question is, you've already answered the book question, but what is one tip for living with more energy and vitality? To live in alignment, that's the thing I practice every day. Okay. And I actually give myself a score at the end of it. So I think when you really know what you want to do and you're super clear on your goals and you know what your values are, so like family's a big mm. one for me and making a difference in the world. So it's like, are those two things lining up? Because often you can sacrifice one and develop the other. Yeah. So at the end of the day, I give myself an alignment score, an, an honest one out of 10 mm. and say, did I live in alignment today? And yeah. I think if I can score highly on a daily basis, then I feel each day I'm heading in the right direction. Brilliant. You're so like me. <laughs> I, mean, that, all the I think to most people, that would be like, oh my God, she gives herself an alignment. I'm like, oh, that's great. Yeah, that's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, they probably think I'm crazy now, but I do. Anyway, it's well, something I, I find so helpful. don't worry about it. <laughs> maybe other people will, maybe yeah. they won't. What's your favourite book then, Tony? My favourite book? Mm. Um, I love Josh Waitzkin's The Art of Learning. 
which is Great excellent. Book. Yeah, and he was a you know six-year-old chess prodigy and then became a, a Tai Chi Taekwondo expert as an adult as well. And it's all about the similarities between learning to play chess at the top level and Taekwondo and doing anything. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, it's a great book. And then one of the things I've been looking at recently is, I interviewed Matt Walker and he said, oh, like, you know, the sleep you get early in the evening is better quality than sleep later in the evening. So just going to bed a bit earlier, especially when you've got a three-year-old who likes to wake up in the middle of the night, mm, really makes thing. a massive difference. Um, so Jeez. that's so that's just something I'm working on, like a regular 10, 10 o'clock, 10 past 10 bedtime. It feels so lame when you've watched 20 minutes of a film and then you've got to say, oh, it's bedtime. Yeah. But, you know, it seems to work And it's worth the me. discipline, I think. I've been actually yeah. trying to nudge my, my teenage children a little bit earlier. Yeah. There's always that friction, right, in teenage years because they naturally want to go yeah. to bed later. yeah. Uh, so we've been kind of working on that and I think I'm actually funnily enough making a little bit of progress Brilliant. because that's the biggest thing is you know yeah. if you hit that point where do you really want to, them to be up they're not an age where you want them to be up beyond no. you because if I could I'd go to bed at half past nine that's actually a little bit early for a teenage boy yeah yeah so yeah. So now you'll we have, have to, to balance it out. Yeah, and so or, I don't actually, we, we, I tend to, for me, it's about 10, 10, 30, but yeah. I would, I'm such an early riser. Mm. I'm constantly, I would say, in a little bit of a sleep deficit, which I don't want to be. Right. Um, so, well, I don't feel in a sleep deficit. But you wake but up But I early. probably am. Yeah, I wake up probably about quarter to five, I'd say. Would you like to sleep more? Um, I probably would like to sleep about another half an hour, I'd say. Look into histamine. Histamine levels are highest early in the morning. Interesting. Yeah. They fluctuate. That's why it's really hard to test with histamine. Like you can go and get tests that measure the histamine in your body, but your histamine levels fluctuate from day to day, from week to week, certainly throughout your cycle. They'll be different at different yeah, times of your cycle. Of course they are. Um, they'll be higher in the early morning than they will be in the afternoon. They'll be higher if you had a banana the night before compared to if you had an apple. So there's so many things that really it's just very hard to test for histamine intolerance but you know one of the things is different time of day is massive and I often wake up with a blocked up nose at five o'clock in the morning but I won't have one at five o'clock in the afternoon that's really interesting I know yeah. more to explore more to explore um, so thank you for letting me interview you <laughs> <laughs> I think I have asked you a fair amount of questions you have, you have I think it's been more it of a chat I think we've we turned, turned it around yeah. I think it's been a bit more do you know if so. you want I can edit it so that the bits of you asking me questions is at the front of your interview on can your you? podcast yeah it's very clever yeah is that you that's going to do that or your um, well I've got an editor but I can do it I worked in radio for 10 years I, I can that's copy very clever yeah oh I like that yeah alright thanks for doing this and um, what's your website again my website yeah. is Angela Foster Performance. Yeah, I was on it just before you arrived, actually, just oh, really? checking it out. Yeah, it's really just good. Just researching me. Yeah, just so so good, everything you're doing, honestly. And, like, I know you've got the, the, this group where you work with people. Obviously, you work one-on-one, -on -one, but you work with people on your group as well. Yeah, I don't great. work very much one-on-one. -on -one. I take on, yeah. like, very few yeah. annual clients. Um, so I don't do much of that. I tend to work in, in groups. Brilliant. And now, yeah, it's my thing is kind of... Coach, training people to coach my methodology in That's terms of really biosyncing, nice. which yeah. is new, which is cool. That's oh, really cool. Um, I, I think a 10 book series on biosyncing is the way forward. I think it should be. And I'll be the one to help you do it. <laughs> Thank you. All and right. where can people find more about you? Oh, yeah. Because you have an amazing yes. podcast. Um, TonyWrighton.com and also HistamineIntolerance.net, which is my side project. Mm. But it's just growing so quickly. It's a big side project. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's, it's not like. I don't have aspirations to be the world's top histamine expert. 
it's just a side project, but it's really fun. I'm a journalist and I'm really inter- interested in health and it's a, it's a good way of combining those two, two passions with something that definitely impacts me. Because when I think of something like, do you know what, I could take some vitamin B2 and, and that might help. I put it on an Instagram and 12,000 people give me responses. And that's just, you know, from a purely yeah, selfish yeah. perspective, that's great. So. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. All right, we'll wrap it up. Lovely to see you and we'll record again soon. Likewise. Thanks for listening. Remember to review and subscribe. You can grab the show notes, the resources and highlights of everything Angela mentioned over at AngelaFosterPerformance.com. You can also snatch up plenty of other goodies, including the highly helpful Angela Recommends page, which is a list of everything she personally recommends to optimize your mind, body and lifestyle.